Hello, everyone, and welcome to Strictly Anime, a podcast for anime reviews and discussions. My name is Courtney. And I am Carl. This is episode 117, and we're discussing Attack on Titan Season 3, Part 1. As always, there will be huge, huge, huge spoilers throughout this episode for, Titan <laughs> for Attack on Titan, the anime in its entirety. So we, we make that very clear because if you have not caught up with Attack on Titan Season 4, the final season, you're about to get spoiled like crazy. It's weird being back behind the microphone. I say that because we recently got back from our trip to Japan. We were gone for like a week and a half. So going a week and a half without recording kind of throws us off a little bit, but it is nice to be back. Yes, and I will admit that even though we've been back for a while, I still feel jet lagged. I think this is the worst jet lag I've felt in a long time. I don't know why I can't recover properly. Uh, I, I still, I'm still going to bed at like four in the morning and waking up in the afternoon. But hopefully it'll it'll subside, and it was definitely the jet lag was definitely worth it with the the amazing trip we had. Yeah, I have to agree. The jet lag was pretty bad. I think I underestimated how bad it would be um, coming back. Like the very the same day that we arrived back in Chicago, I think we fell asleep for like sixteen hours. Yeah, <laughs> we just slept straight through. And I think part of it is with you know the shutdowns and everything. We haven't traveled internationally in like two or three years actually probably mm. longer than that because we did we hadn't done any traveling leading up to the pandemic Yeah, it's been i think five years for us yeah that sounds about right so it's it's uh uncharted territory for us at this point but yes we are back behind the mic feeling refreshed we had an amazing for the most part for the most part <laughs> we had an amazing time in japan um it was everything that we had hoped for. Um, it's been five years since we've been to, to Japan and Tokyo. So we did a lot of like the, like not the same exact things, but very similar things that we did before. We spent most of our time in Tokyo, did a day trip out to Osaka. Um, I think probably had a lot more anime stuff in our trip this time around mm -hmm. than the first time around, because I think the first time around, well, first time around for you, um, the last time around for me was more about like getting you um exposed to japan seeing a lot of the touristy things the uh historic places plus a lot of the popular tourist areas um, but this time around we had a little more flexibility to incorporate anime and gaming into our trip plus yeah this time around i had a, a bigger understanding of anime than when we last went because i'm pretty sure the last time we went to japan or my first time the only anime i was really familiar with was go figure attack on titan <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it, it's nice to be able to just like weeb out on our trip. We weren't obnoxious or anything like that. Like we weren't the typical, uh, maybe not typical, but the perceived weeb tourists that maybe a lot of Japanese people are like, oh shit about. But um, yeah, we did what we could to to be, you know, subtle weebs in Japan. Yeah, we made many visits to Akihabara. We did, so. probably three <laughs> or four, because it's so big. There's so much to look at, so many anime figures to browse and to buy that... Um, this time around, like one one visit to Akihabara just wasn't enough. And I think for me, it's my fourth time going to Japan. The first time I went was with my mom. Second time I went was um, a study abroad trip in college. Third time was our honeymoon. So this really was the first time we could just be fucking weebs in Japan. We did a lot of JoJo related things. Um, we tried to see a lot of like like 
not pop-up. Well, there were a lot of pop-ups that we came across. Actually, there was the My Dress Up Darling pop-up. Right. I was so excited <laughs> about that. That was fucking amazing. And then it disappeared like a couple days later. I know. We got there just in time. Um, we missed the JoJo pop-ups, but you know, I'm sure there'll be more in the future. But yeah, we came across like a bunch of really cool like niche stores, not only in Akihabara, but across Japan that were anime and gaming related. And if you're interested in hearing all about our trip, we will have a bonus episode going up pretty soon on our Patreon. We're going to talk in depth about everything, the whole trip from start to finish, share pictures and videos, um, and show all the fun weeb stuff, plus the non-weeb stuff that we did. Um, but yeah, if you're interested, head over to patreon.com slash series. So now on to Attack on Titan. I am wired on caffeine because of the jet lag, and I'm so excited to talk more about AOT. Um, but it's going to be interesting because we're reaching a point in the story that I feel like both you and I love, but don't love as much as the rest of the show. Would you say that's fair? You're talking about this this Historia arc? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Historia arc, the Kenny arc. Like, don't get me wrong. They're incredibly important, um, especially watching it the second time around. I, I think I... I understand everything more. But man, when I first watched season three, part one, I was like, okay, this is good, but it's not as great as like seasons one and two. And mm -hmm. it just did not hit nearly as hard as season three, part two, which we'll talk about next. And that, that's going to be, a, I feel like a different tone for a conversation. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good thing that we split up season three into two discussions because this core does feel vastly different from the second part absolutely um and of course like this is the more divisive arc among attack on titan fans it almost feels like it's a like a side mission in the <laughs> in the game that is attack on titan because i think with this core isayama took quite a gamble in exploring more of like the political side of parodies rather than sticking solely with like the jaw-dropping drama and the action set pieces that we saw littered throughout seasons one and two. And of, at first, when we first watched this, of, of course it felt like a, a major slowdown in the story since it was almost going in a route similar to The Walking Dead, which was another really popular show uh, back in, when did this come out? Like 2018. I would say like I would say The Walking Dead was kind of waning in popularity, but th that show was also going a route where, like, talking within the context of Attack on Titan, the enemies weren't just Titans anymore. It was also the humans inside the walls as well. Yeah, that was a big shift for a lot of people. I remember a lot of us finished Attack on Titan season three, part one, and said, where the fuck are the Titans? Where the fuck are the Titans? What the hell is going on? Um, but to just kind of give everyone an idea of how divisive season three really is. Um, I, I wanna, I'll speak for myself and you let me know if you agree or if you feel the same way. Season three gave me my least favorite and most favorite parts of Attack on Titan all in one season. I would say season three, part one, if I had to choose a least favorite would be my least favorite part. But Agreed. season three, part two is by far my favorite part of Attack on Titan. Granted, we still have the final part of the final season coming up, but so far nothing has topped season three, part two. I I partially agree with that. I think season three, part two definitely ranks high on my list of, of Attack on Titan cores. Um, I'm still pondering whether or not 
season three, part two should take the number one spot because I think the final season parts one and two definitely have great moments as much as this season, as much as season three, part two does. Yeah, for sure. I love them a lot and I've, I've scored them very, very high. Um, but there's just some, there's particular moments and things that we get in season three, part two that just, ha- I, I haven't been, I don't know, they haven't been topped yet. Those feelings and like the wild ride of that part have not been topped yet. Very close though with the final season, um, but it still reigns supreme for me. So yeah, that'll be a whole, again, different conversation, probably with a different tone to it when we get to season three, part two. But today we're talking about season three, part one. And as a reminder, here on Strictly Anime, over the past two, two and a half years or so, We have been um, reviewing every single episode of Attack on Titan, the final season, by doing our Attack on Titan special event episodes, which happen on top of our regular schedule. And of course, we're going to bring that special event back when the final season of Attack on Titan returns sometime next year. But in preparation for that, we wanted to do sort of this look back on the previous seasons of Attack on Titan, because rewatching it, knowing what we know now is an entirely different experience. So we looked back at season one of AOT on Strictly Anime episode 110. We looked back at season two on Strictly Anime episode 114. So if you haven't listened to those, we highly recommend listening to those podcast episodes first and then coming back to this one. But yes, again, we're going to look at season three, part one um, in today's episode. And first, we're going to uh, talk high level about our thoughts of season three, part one. And then we're going to dive into really the the intent of the, the conversation, which is looking at all the hints to the greater AOT lore that Isayama dropped throughout season three, part one. Because again, these are things we never knew or never understood until rewatching it now, knowing everything that we know. So with all that said, of course, this is going to have major, major spoilers. It's going to be a super spoiler-heavy review and discussion. Um, So anything and everything that's happened in the AOT anime so far is completely fair game. So we highly recommend if you have not caught up to Attack on Titan, the final season part two, then stop listening, go back and watch all of that, and then come back to these review episodes. So let's kick it off with the synopsis for season three, part one. All right, listeners, time to open up your Historia books as we soar into our synopsis and discussion for Attack on Titan Season 3 Part 1, the 2018 anime adaptation of a dark fantasy manga series written and illustrated by Hajime Isayama. The anime was produced by Wit Studio and directed by Tetsuro Araki and covers chapters 51 through 70 from the original manga known as the Uprising Arc. Aaron Yeagerman Jensen and company have been promoted to Levi Squad Generation 2.0, but with the danger of his Attack Titan cosplay and Christoria's newly discovered royal cosplay, the parody's patriarchy seek to take the pair within their custody while assigning a six-star GTA wanted level to Erwin Dancho and the entirety of the scouts for treason. Leading the charge is an elite squad of the military police under the command of Kenny the Ripper, named not for ripping Titan farts, but for wanting to rip into the asshole of Levi Hecho, whom we learn is his half-uncle but also 100% Ackerman like himself. I thought you were going to make a Beyblade reference. 
ripping Beyblades. Mm, <laughs> who knows? <laughs> Despite his appendage handicap, Erwin Dancho is able to stiff arm the puppet parody's patriarchy and works with Pikushisu to stage a coup d'etat in order to establish a true government of, by, and for the parody's people. Before that can happen, however, Erwin, Levi Hecho, and the Scouts resume their God damn it, we have to save Aaron again duties. As it turns out, Christoria's father, Rod Race, expects her to literally have Aaron for dinner to gain back the founding Titan cosplay that Grisha stole from them years ago. Cementing that yes, Aaron is a cannibal who ate his old manable. Christoria, however, sticks it to her own old man and rescues the Jaegerman Jensen, forcing Rod to adopt a no-face Titan cosplay that she ultimately destroys to cement her place as the one true queen to rule them all. In the process, Levi is gifted a Titan injection by the prodigal Kenny the Ripper, and Eren learns to add a hardening ability to his attack Titan cosplay, both of which the scouts plan to use in their special episode of Extreme Makeover, Shigan Shonen Jump Edition, in a bid to learn more about Eren's old man and unlock the secrets hidden in his basement back home. Let's just hope Grisha didn't clear his browsing history. I'll start us off with a question that we've been asking with each of these review and discussion episodes. So now that we've rewatched season three, part one, which by the way, this is the first time I'm rewatching it ever. Is it the same for you? Yeah, I mean, I've I've watched part or clips of this season through YouTube, but not in its entirety. So with that said, how has this rewatch been for you? How has the, the viewing experience been knowing what you know now like has it changed at all um has it become more or less of a of a good watch for you um because yeah i feel like when you know everything that we know you can't see it the same way yes of course what a world of difference context makes now especially with this first core of season three i remember watching this the first time and we, we already shared our sentiments about feeling like what the hell are we watching? This doesn't feel like Attack on Titan. Uh, it's just a lot of talk, a lot of talking, um, and it veers in a very different course from what we're used to uh, with the series up until this point. But with us having watched through to the final season and having a new set of eyes looking back at these seasons, and especially with season three, part one, I feel like I've learned to appreciate this part a little bit more especially because I feel like there are a lot of plot lines and ideas that are introduced in this core that become very paramount and very significant to things that we see play out in the final season, especially with Aaron's plan to activate the rumbling. Did you have a similar sentiment? Yeah, I echo pretty much everything that you said. I I think for me, again, this was and still is my least favorite part of Attack on Titan, but rewatching it with more of an understanding of how critical these plot lines are everything that we get in in part one of season three how critical it all is the info that they're sharing with us all of that makes me appreciate this part way more than i did at first um and also re-watching this i noticed that the historia arc didn't seem quite as drawn out as it did before having only watched it once when it was airing many years ago for some reason i thought the the arc where historia rod and um aaron are in that titan cavern i thought it was like six episodes long it's only like two episodes two or three Mm. episodes (laughs) so clearly i i didn't enjoy it the first time around as much as maybe i I do now um 
But I just think that was such a drastic change from seasons one and two, where, as we talked about, the Titans were the focus. And I think because of that, when we were first watching, we just couldn't appreciate everything. Also because we, it's an info dump. Season three, part one is a huge Mm -hmm. info dump. Um, Not only information about the AOT lore, but just all this information about characters that don't stick around for very long. Yeah, I think besides all the stuff we learn about Historia and I know we've called it the Rice family. I think hearing the anime, they, they pronounce it the Rice family. Yeah, I think we've been saying it wrong. Sorry, yeah. everyone. So, it's the Rice family according race, to the sub. <laughs> rice, rice, potato, potato. Uh, yeah, I think we learn a lot more about Levi, who's still obviously a crucial character in the Attack on Titan lore. And I think I failed to comment on this in our season two discussion is that there wasn't enough Levi in season two, but we're getting plenty in season three, part one, which I was, I think that's a definite plus for me. But with that, of course, I think you were referring to the character Kenny. Well, not only that, see, I I do agree. I think it's fantastic that Levi gets to shine in season three. I think this is, um, this is the season where Levi, he, he captured everyone's hearts right away in Attack on Titan season one. But I think this is where his legacy is solidified because he mm-hmm. plays such a huge role from season three onward. But what I was referring to in terms of like getting an info dump for characters who don't stick a, stick around very long, obviously we get Levi's backstory. He's going to stick around um, up through season, the final season part two, as we know. So with with Kenny though, I mean, Kenny's come and gone in Mm -hmm. just this half of the season um we get of course the historia stuff but she kind of takes a back seat after this part Mm -hmm. yes she plays a crucial role in the story but we're not going to see her very much after season three part one yeah i feel like here and even in the larger lore she's just there to for us to learn about the founding titan she's i don't want to call her a plot device because again she's Mm -hmm. much more important than that but she kind of feels like one um, at certain points. But then we also get Erwin backstory. And we all know he's going to fucking die in the next part of the season, which just makes me sad. We even get, um, what the fuck is his title? Shadis's Potato Sergeant? Keith Shadis. Yeah, Keith, Keith Shadis. Cadet is, Commander. We get his backstory. We get a whole fucking backstory for him. And he doesn't play a crucial role until season four, final, I keep, I, I switched that up. The final season, part two. That's mm-hmm. when he plays a role and then he dies anyway. <laughs> so that's why I'm like, these things are really important. They're really interesting. But I also feel like they come and go. Kenny's come and gone. Historia is still there, but you know, you never see her after this. Erwin's come and gone. Shadis has come and gone. Even Rod Rice. Yeah, even Rod bit. Rice and the Rice family, like, come and gone. Like, we say Rice again? Race? Yeah. <laughs> Wait, again, is it race or Rice? We're going to use it interchangeably. Yeah, I'm pretty so. sure... The correct pronunciation is race. Yes. Okay. Um, The race family come and gone. So yeah, it was just like a lot to absorb for something that's, it all plays an important part at the end of the day. We all know that Isayama doesn't give us anything that doesn't play some sort of piece into the larger puzzle, but I don't know. It just, I don't know how to describe it. I hope, I hope what I'm saying makes sense, but it's just like, I want to say it was a waste, but it, it feels maybe similar to a waste. Yeah, I think another way I look at it is just this part feels a bit disjointed at first. Like if this were your first time watching season three, part one, obviously 
it it leaves you in a bit of confusion because you have this one plot line where they're plotting to overthrow the government and then you have this other plot line where you know Aaron is supposed to be eaten by Historia and then you have the side plot with the 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 conflict between Kenny and Levi and so again you don't really get to piece everything together until you've watched everything through to the final season and looking back at it now I think I like I said earlier you get a better appreciation of of what's going on but yeah I think it's just that initial viewing where you it's hard to put all the pieces together but with all that said even though they gave us some I'll I'll call it throwaway even though it's not throwaway I'm not I'm finding I'm not finding the correct word for it so when I do I'll use it but for now I'll just call it throwaway we get this throwaway information uh, but at the same time, we get some of the most critical and important information that we've gotten so far in Attack on Titan. I mean, think about all the information around the Ackermans. Think about um, finding out that the race family is the true royal bloodline, that they can control memories, um, that they there are even bloodlines that are immune to it, including the Ackermans and the Oriental clan, as they call it. Mm-hmm. Like, that, that is huge, huge for the lore. And you, I think one thing I noticed was when Rod Race says, like, the founding titan created the walls. And just the sheer confusion that I remember having, which was like, why are titans protecting the walls from titans? I think that that was a critical piece of information that does get resolved in part two of season three. But yeah, that's one critical piece that I was like, this is mind-blowing. Not only that, I mean, we kind of already got this in season two, but now we have the people of Paradis realizing that Titan powers are passed down by eating other people with Titan powers. Mm. I mean, you talk about all of the crazy shit that they told us in season three, part one, that is just absolutely crucial to the Attack on Titan story. We got so much of it. But again, I feel like a lot of that was clouded because there were there were some of the throwaway bits of information and again it was just a lot of information that we couldn't appreciate at the time as we've said a number of times so that's why i think i I struggle with season three part one because it's by no means a bad part of the show it's just not a perfect part of the show and as mentioned earlier we don't see titans until almost like the end of it all um, I think the first showing of a Titan is technically in episode five, but they're hypothetical Titans. Because someone says like, well, what if Titans break in? And then we get like a hypothetical view of like Titans attacking the people of some district. But I think the first time we actually get a current like in the flesh Titan is episode seven when Rod Race transforms. Is that right? Yeah. Or if you're looking at the overall numbers, that'd be episode 42 and... 44 yes. at the end of which yeah rod <laughs> licks the serum and becomes the you called it the worm titan he looks like a worm because like when he <laughs> moves his body like contracts and expands i will say though if you want to be super technical about it the first episode which is episode 38 you do get aaron's titan form but i'm not talking mm. like like, he, he, like they're not titans. attacking a titan yeah like, like pure <laughs> titan on titan <laughs> pure titan wise you don't actually see one until Rod Rice transforms, race transforms. Um, and I think that's why everyone was like, where the fuck are the Titans? We had all these Titans. That was the focus. It's like a 180 suddenly, and you, we, we don't get any pure Titans at all except for Rod and his worm. <laughs> <laughs> one other bit that I really loved 
really loved um, for season three, part one, was just watching Mikasa and Levi team up and work together, watching the two of them just try to understand who they are as Ackermans, um, even having that conversation where Levi asked her, like, have you ever felt like suddenly a power was awoken within you and that you just knew what to do? Um, it was just cool because they play such a crucial part in the whole um, Attack on Titan story, but they never really talk about it except for this part of the season. I feel like we get this this moment where the two of them acknowledge that they are probably related in some way, but then it just, you know, kind of goes to the wayside after season three, part one. Now you feel like the first time Levi hears about Mikasa or meets her in the story, they'd be like, why do we both have the same last name? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I was reading that so let me let me piece this together. Levi's mother is Kuchel Ackerman, who is Kenny's younger sister. But Mikasa's father is also related to Kenny and Kuchel. We just don't know how. They didn't specify how they're related, right? Yeah, I don't know if it's like a, a cousin or... Distant relative yeah. or whatever. But at some point, I forget which episode, Kenny... Oh, it's the one where he's talking to his grandfather uh kenny does mention to his gramps that they found a relative who was living in the shigan shina district so that's implying that that's mikasa's family before we transition from our overall thoughts on the season to hints i want to ask the same question we've been asking um, with, each, with each of these episodes what would you say was your favorite and least favorite parts of season three part one um <laughs> i'd say my favorite part was just there's just one scene, and this is in episode two, or what would that be overall? Episode 39, Pain. And that's just Levi's dynamic escape from Kenny and the interior police through, I think they're they're in Trost. I forget which district they're in. Uh, I, get, like, I love these set pieces that Wit Studio sets up for certain characters as they're flying through a district and just how how much sakuga there is in each frame even though i know it's like a, a cgi background that's meant to kind of track their movements but i i would say this is one of the animated highlights of season three part one and if i could just comment a little bit more about the animation i felt like even though it's very similar in style to seasons one and two the animation here it feels a little bit softer if you kind of catch my drift. Like characters aren't bolded as much as they were in seasons one and two. Like they have softer animation lines. And I feel like this is sort of a trend. This season acts sort of like a transition to MAPPA's manga faithful style. And I don't know if that was just something that Witch Studio wanted to take into account if they had an inkling that this was going to be their last time adapting Attack on Titan. But I don't know if you got the same feel. It just, even though, again, the tone felt the same as seasons one and two, something about the animation felt softer and in a way a little bit more mature. Definitely more mature. I agree. Do they beefed up everybody, especially Levi? Mm -hmm. He looked like a scrawny character in seasons one and two here he looks beefed up i don't know what happened um but he looks better because <laughs> they listen to, even... to fan feedback <laughs> yeah <laughs> i would say even like erwin looks beefed up um i know aaron has like a million abs that they show for like a whole three episodes but i feel like 
Jean looks like a little more mature. Mikasa looks a little more mature. Even like everyone Aaron just kind of looks aged too. up a little bit. Yeah. Um, even though it's only been like what they said, like four months mm-hmm. or something. <laughs> that's that's just mind blowing that these first three seasons are in the span of four months. Um, I would say my least favorite part, and this is similar with season two, is just just Historia. <laughs> like again, I know that she's an important character, but you said before, like she's pretty much. I feel like she's just a plot device throughout this whole this whole story. Uh, again, all we really need of her in this moment or in this core is to establish how the Founding Titan power works. And after that, she she just takes a back seat, especially in season four or the final season. She's I'm assuming she's at the same ranch that they were in uh, in this season two part one, season three part one finale. Um, where she's pregnant and we don't know who the father is, but it, like she's just there. Um, again, like I know that the story wants us to feel invested in her, and there are aspects of her character that we can take into account, especially like with her being able to choose her her destiny, um, even though she gets relegated to being a part of the crown. But again, like I, we have side characters like. Reiner and Bertolt, and granted they're titan shifters or titan warriors, so obviously they're going to play important parts, but even they are secondary characters to, to like Eren, Mikasa, Armin, and you feel more invested in them. I'm just saying like Historia, you don't feel as invested in her as you would other secondary characters in the show. She is still important. I feel the same way, but she is still important um, to also clarify. Like we, we recognize how important she is because she has now broken the cycle of the race family. Mm-hmm. She's she's a huge catalyst um, for the change that's needed for humanity that everyone always talks about. So yeah, we're not knocking on Historia by any means. Um, it's just, you know, the, it's just the way that her character arc plays out. So for me, my favorite part, I'd have to agree with you, is like the ODM sequences, especially for Levi. They're orgasmic. They did, like, Wit Studio did not hold back. It looks fucking amazing. The animation overall, I do agree, looks cleaner. It looks more mature. Um, They just, yeah, they dumped, like, so much more, I don't know if it's budget or time or what have you, but the production quality definitely took, like, a nice jump um, between season two and season three. I also noticed that I know people have been critical of MAPPA adding all those lines on characters' faces. Do they have them here too? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you can't really blame them. Maybe it's it's more prominent in MAPPA's adaptation. But yeah, a lot of close-ups in this season also feature that, like those lines, which I think is also just part of they're like trying to adapt Isayama's um illustrating I think style. they're meant to be shadows honestly like, I think it's just yeah. like the shadows on people's eyes because they're more prominent when someone looks very gloomy but instead of just shading it out they just put lines instead <laughs> I don't mind it I don't I don't sometimes I don't even notice it um, my least favorite part of the season I would have to say there's two things one it's Aaron screaming and crying a lot like it was yeah. just so excessive he fell into the i know you you hate this trope the shonen protagonist yeah trope. the self-doubting self-loathing shonen protagonist luckily he broke out of that pretty quickly but i was just like stop crying so much and then mm. historia said it for us i'm like thank you i agree with you historia um on top of that i would also say again just like the investment we have around kenny historia erwin shadis um that doesn't it's not long-term investment. We get all that stuff. It's really interesting. It's really cool to see. 
but then it just sort of goes away as we progress through the story. So I already talked about that, but I would say those are my favorite and least favorite parts. Now it's time to talk about all of the hints that we found in season three, part one about Attack on Titan, about the the lore, about the full story, everything that Isayama just dropped right in front of us that we didn't notice the first time around. I will say compared to seasons one and two, uh, season three, part one had far less I think because a lot of the information that they shared with us came into play only a few episodes later. So yes, we got or in the second core. Well, it, yeah, that too. Yeah. It will show up in the second core. So either it's gonna sh- it's gonna show up immediately in part one, or it will show up in part two. So it's hard to call it like a hint, because to me, a hint is like this is something important that we're not gonna see for one or two seasons, but. This is more like foreshadowing. Like we would get foreshadowing about some some you know important piece of information that would show up two to three episodes later. So that's kind of where I drew the line here, and that's probably why I have a little bit um, less on my list of hints. But I still think there's some important pieces that we can talk about. And let's start that with the OP and the ED. You know, I, I forgot to mention that uh, <laughs> another low point for season three, part one, has got to be the choice of op (laughs) Uh, oh the song yes and so the song is red swan by yoshiki featuring hyde and just as with the entirety of season three part one this song didn't feel like true attack on titan to me obviously it's it's not as epic or imperial sounding as the OPs we've seen of Linked Horizon so far. I think this was this was the first OP where Linked Horizon wasn't featured as the artist. Um, it's a lot more, not somber, I guess more reflective and hopeful, which I guess kind of goes in line with this uprising arc, how there's a, a renewed hope in finding or in ensuring humanity's survival by <laughs> overthrowing the government and finally getting to retake Wall Maria. Um, and visuals, you get a lot of the main trio, Levi, Erwin, Historia, um, the latter three of which have very important parts to play in season three, part one. And you also get a brief glimpse of the Marley group um, in one shot, which is Reiner, Bertolt, Annie, and Marcel. I think they're traveling through a forest. Um, and then you get a shot of young Aaron talking to a, a, the adult, or I guess the scout Aaron, which you said a lot of people were thinking that was a hint to the sort of time traveling powers. Oh, well, I don't know if other people think this, but my takeaway, because really that's the only quote unquote hint that I caught from the OP was young Aaron from season one talking to, I guess what would be current day Aaron from season three. My guess is like, is that some sort of foreshadowing to Aaron's power that we see in the final season where he can influence the past and maybe not directly talk to people, but like interact with them (laughs) in some sort of way or have some sort of influence on them. Because not only younger Aaron like talking to older Aaron, it's like him trying to get his attention, Mm -hmm. like almost like even tapping him on the arm and like trying to like, I don't know, I'm guessing, you know, if you were to hear what he was saying and saying like, hey, what's wrong with you? What the fuck's wrong with you? Um, You're just standing there. Why aren't you saying anything? Just that interaction seemed so odd because it would be different if it was just younger Aaron 
you know, maybe running around older Aaron and then off screen, but never interacting. But here they're like, they're actually interacting. So that's why I felt like maybe that was some sort of hint to his power. Okay. I can definitely see that now. Um, and obviously that wasn't something that we would have picked up back then because uh, this is just an OP. But I guess that is a spoilery detail now that you think about it. Um, Lyrics-wise, I think this is a song about, about bittersweet love from one explanation I, I read. Uh, but what a couple interesting lyrics to pull out from the translation, or I think he actually the singer actually says this in English, English is what's the lie, what's the truth, what to believe, which are key questions that we need to ask ourselves now as we're watching Attack on Titan. Yeah, and they do come into play in this part of the season because you have the whole race family being the true uh, royal family. You've got the fake king, all that stuff. So I, I could see the connection there. And moving on to the ED, um, which features Link to Horizon, their first billing as an ED artist. Uh, the title of their song is Akatsuki no Requiem or Requiem of the Dawn. Uh, this one, visuals-wise, you have a sort of storybook animation style that focuses on Historia in this field of flowers and her relationship with Frida Race, uh, the preceding wielder of the founding titan. Um, yeah, I think that's pretty much it with this Yeah, one. I think it's all focused on Historia's backstory. I didn't really mm -hmm. catch any like hints to anything. Maybe the book about Ymir. But that's kind of it. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I didn't really notice anything else. Um, one thing I, I did notice um, with the visuals is there's a shot of Historia kind of drowning into the ground, which uh, made me think of the first Emir when we see her backstory in the final season. She, I'm pretty sure she, she didn't trip backwards, but she also, like, she fell into that lake. There's also like the field of flowers is a common theme because mm. Aaron in the final season part two ED is also in a field of flowers. There's and, also droplets of blood. Mm -hmm. Same with this Historia ED. And Mikasa in yes. the first season's e first ED. Yeah. So there's some similarities there, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think lyrics wise too, there, there's a bit of hinting to the bigger world in Attack on Titan that we'll see prominently in the final season. Um, to translate it, I think this is the the lyrics right before the chorus. Those that throw the stones and those who are in turn hit by them, between the two sides stands a fence not crossed so easily. But by changing where we stand, justice will come to bear its fangs. So who is it really that's been left howling within the cage? And this kind of makes me think of not just the entirety of the final season, but the last episode of the final season, part two, which was titled The Dawn of Humanity, uh, kind of similar in title to this ED, Requiem of the Dawn. It just makes me think of how these lyrics kind of compare to us seeing Aaron and the rumbling approach the Marlin shores. And now, like, it's kind of like the coin has been flipped like who has become the true dispenser of quote-unquote justice in this whole scenario. Last thing is the musician in me noticed that there are motifs um, or snippets of previous melodies 
especially from Shinzo Osasageo, the OP for season two, and Gure no Yumiya, which is the first OP from season one. You can hear their melodies, um, I think. Shinzo Osasageo, you hear the da-na-na-na-na-na-na-na at one point, and then at the end, with the children's choir singing, they're, they're kind of... Re- they're singing the melody of da na 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 if you listen very closely. Uh, I think motifs become more apparent in Season 3 Part 2's OP, which is the return of Linked Horizon. I think their final OP before, you know, I don't know if they're going to do one for Final Season Part 3. Uh, but yeah, just a little bit of music trivia for you music aficionados out there. I don't know if we've been doing this with the last two Attack on Titan episodes, um, but we're going to name the episodes based on like the overall number, episode number, instead of like episode one of season three, part one. We'll just call it episode 38. So if we didn't do that before, we apologize. We try to stay good about um, with Attack on Titan numbering based on how they number things, which is like a straight run through. So we're at like, what, 80 something episodes of Attack on Titan at this point? Yeah, through to the final season. It's about 80. So for episode 38, um, there, again, wasn't too much in this episode because I think it really just focused on setting up the premise for part one of season three. But I noticed that when um, talking to Historia, Aaron has a quick memory of Emer sitting in the tree next to Bertold. And Aaron's kind of shocked and says, like, wait, wasn't that? And then trails off. At first, I was like, what the fuck is he referencing? But then I realized in an episode or two later, or maybe later this episode, he wrote something down for Hans to read. And I think it's the concept, the potential concept of Titan powers being passed down when you eat somebody. So again, not a huge hint to like the later parts of Attack on Titan, more foreshadowing for what's later to come in part one of season three. But I thought that was an interesting kind of callback. One other thing that I noticed in episode 38 was what Kenny's team was using, uh, which is the upgraded ODM anti-personnel control gear, is I think what they're called, um, that they use against the scouts in trying to apprehend them or arrest them. I think we, we're familiar with the scouts using those like metal containers or sheaths for their swords that are on their sides, and then the mechanism on their backs, which I think pushes out the harness for Kenny's and his team's gear they're using harnesses that come out of their arms which are also attached to I guess their handguns um so it's like a more advanced ODM gear I think the publicly available information that shows up in the eye catch says that this gear was specifically developed to counter ODM gear for use in fighting other humans or more specifically the scouts but I think the scouts end up using this gear in the final season, especially in the Marley infiltration arc. Um, with their stealth suits, they're using the same gear that Kenny and his team are using. When you pointed that out to me, I noticed that the look of the scout season, final season outfits looked like Kenny's team's outfits, except for the final season theirs are like gray and black and then Kenny's team is like white and brown but they look identical yeah, I think they were only darker just because they were using it as a as a stealth mission as part of a stealth mission in Marley um, and with the military police being I don't know not overthrown but 
um, what's the word, disbanded in a way, or like take, like weeding out, uh, the scouts decided to adapt their technology for their own use. In episode 39, there were a couple of moments that may not be true hints, but I feel like maybe they're more like foreshadowing before the final season in particular. So Levi warns the scouts that from now on they'll be fighting humans, not just Titans. And of course, we see that through and through um, in season three. John goes up against a member of Kenny's team um, and hesitates and looks really scared at the possibility of having to kill a human, um, hesitates to the point where Armin then has to kill that soldier to save him. And it's kind of crazy to think how much that's changed by season four. Um, although Armin and John and the team may hate the idea of killing humans, they do it almost without hesitation by the final season. It's just like left and right, a full-on war of humans killing humans, you know, and, and Titans are almost sort of a, a side thought. And even in this episode, Armin, after he kills that soldier, throws up from the stress, which also makes me think about the fact that he, who can't, I think has the hardest time handling the idea of killing humans, inherits the most destructive Titan, which is the Colossal Titan. And when he uses it in the final season, uh, part one, you see the pain that's on his face the entire time he has to do that. And Levi just simply says, embrace the new you now that they have to face off against humans. Um, yeah, I, I always wondered why they weren't feeling so conflicted about this in the final season. It's because this kind of sets, this arc sets them up for that. But I'm recalling when Connie had to shoot, I think it was Daz and his companion in the final season part two, how that was conflicting for them. But I think it's because they knew those humans on a more personal level, whereas in this arc, it's more like they have these not unknown enemies, but people that they're not familiar with. Erwin also questions Niall during this episode about who he'll choose to side with when this world inevitably goes through some drastic change. Yes, he's referring to like Niall choosing in a later episode when it's Erwin up against the royals during his trial. But I also feel like that's a hint at even further down the road um, when Niall has to deal with the Aegaris versus the scouts. I think that's another moment where he has to make that decision. And then you have Levi holding Mikasa back from going after Aaron, which he does a lot. He's done a lot. He does a lot in the season. But he also comments, I believe in the previous episode, that she keeps disobeying orders to help Aaron. I think it's because at this point he doesn't realize the Ackerman curse yet. He does recognize there's some sort of power that activates, um, that they're a very strong bloodline. But he and everyone else doesn't realize it's because the Ackermans... Like the power activates when the Ackermans become tied to a particular person. And I'll talk a little bit more about this probably towards the end of season three, part one, in the way that Levi also behaves when it comes to Erwin. And then you have Armin saying something that really stuck with me in this episode. He says that the enemies aren't trying to eat them this time around, that they're killing these other humans for having different views or simply belonging to a different group. I'm like, bro, you have no idea. The shit gets worse by the mm -hmm. final season. But the fact that he didn't stop at just saying, oh, because they have different views than us, but he actually said, or they simply belong to a different group. I mean, is that not the entire premise 
behind the rift between Marley and Paradis. Yeah, Marleyans and Eldians. It's two different groups. And yeah, they're not eating each other. <laughs> they're, they're going at each other's throats, I suppose. In episode 40, we have the flashback of Historia's mom and Historia herself reading that book that we learn is about a character named Krista, but I think we can all assume based on the imagery and what that story contains, that it's the story of Emir, right? So we see a later flashback where Frida um, hangs out with Historia. Frida doesn't take that book with her, right? It stays in Historia's hands? Uh, yeah, I believe so. Okay, so yeah, I'm assuming it's the same book that... Her, um, I think her, mother name is, her mother's name is Alma, the same book that she is reading in this flashback. And then we'll see that exact same flashback of Frida and Historia in the final season. I think in the episode that we get Emir's backstory and the origin of the Titans and they reference that book. So the entire time, I don't know how Alma and Historia got their hands on that book, um, but the entire time they're reading basically the founding of Eldia and they didn't even realize it. Well, a later episode in this part, um, there's a quick scene of Rod uh, cr crying in Alma's arms, saying that she's the only one that understood his plight. And so I feel like it was supplied to her by Rod, so that oh, I could see that, yeah. Yeah, you know, they could, sh he, she could share in his sentiments. And then we get Erwin's backstory in this episode, and Erwin shares um, his father's theory that the royal family altered everyone's memories inside the wall to make them easy to control hinting at the founding titan power. But we get we get confirmation of that in the same part. Um so again this is it's hard to call this one like a true hint, more like foreshadowing for what's what's to come in a few episodes. Um but I think that they kind of hint that Erwin's father no Erwin confirms that his father was killed later on by the government to protect the secret. And that's I think what sparks Erwin's desire for the truth. Yeah, and that's something I want to comment on later. The more we talk about Erwin and his desire for the truth and just people's dreams in general um, in this series, I think it becomes a lot more prominent in season three, part one, and probably in the entirety of season three. But one more thing I wanted to pull out from episode 40 is I think the previous episode we saw one of the members of the military police, uh, Sanez, or... Jelsan is, I think is his full name. I'll just call him Sanez. He's being tortured by the Scots for more information about the the race family. And Sanez, I think he's the one who reveals that Rod Race, like his family of nobles is actually the true royal family. And I think at some point Hanj is like rubbing it in Sanez's face that he had spilled the beans. Um, and I think, who's it? Sanez's companion, Ralph, also calls Hanj and the Scouts, you devils, which is something, a a slur that we hear Marleyans call Eldians when we get to the Marley part. So it's kind of odd that it's the you devils slur is brought up here, even though they're all Eldians, as we know. But maybe it's because these are the Eldians that know the truth about everything? Probably. Because the idea of the devils came from the early Eldians, right? And how they just like decimated other countries. Mm -hmm. So if they know the history of Eldia, maybe that's where they're getting that idea from. It's just my my guess. Actually, now that I, I recall Bertolt 
said the same thing like you spawn of the devil yeah when armin was teasing or not teasing him but trying to like fuck with his brain about annie yeah so he has <laughs> yeah two instances so far where we hear uh this slur uh but the other thing with sanez is uh he says something to hans that we see a flashback of in the final season is about this there's an order to how roles are constantly changing in this w- world where he says when one ro- one's role is done, another steps in to start the act again. And thus the world can never be rid of it. Kind of hinting at this this cycle of power and like, like controlling the people and controlling their memories um, in a kind of twisted sense of peace. Because Hans reflects on this line later when if like the people once again rebel against against the government because they start to side with what the Jaegerists are doing to further the Eldian cause that they have now discovered. And that's literally part of Aaron's whole goal is to break the cycle that continues over and over again. In episode 41, I only noticed that the government leaders were saying that, or like the royals or whatever, were saying that they're doing all of these things to protect the truth, which in turn protects the peace within the walls because they're able to continue to control everybody. But this sounds very much like a right versus wrong situation, like where it's a a gray area and you don't really know who's right and wrong sort of like you know eldians versus marlians here the government is doing something for righteous reasons but those reasons don't align with what the scouts want or really what's what they see as best for humanity but at the end of the day like who is to say who's right and wrong you know like if if the government is thinking of these things again for righteous reasons because they want to help people could that be a possible right action? Who knows? So it's it's the same thing. It just makes me think about that dynamic between Eldians and Marlians because that's that is such a prevalent theme in the final season. So my understanding is the government is taking the position that ignorance is bliss for them to not know the truth about the world so that they can keep again this this veiled sense of peace. Yeah, and I mean they achieved peace for a hundred years, so they have. Uh, some validity there you'd have to say yeah, but is it a true sense of peace and i think the nobles say something about humanity being like birds in a cage uh which is a imagery that comes up a lot in attack on titan and i know we've seen it in the final season as well um, so yeah thinking about at this point what true peace or what true freedom is i also think this is the episode where you were mentioning about levi and his Ackerman curse coming into play whenever Erwin is mentioned. Oh, um, my, my specific example was like the second to last episode. Oh, okay. <laughs> or well, the last episode. But yeah, what, what do you have? Um, when I think Levi's squad overtakes a military police checkpoint, he, inter- he interrogates, I think, the person in charge who I said looks like Danny Trejo. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and he's asking him about Aaron and Historia's whereabouts. I noticed that when Danny Danny Trejo mentions um, <laughs> Erwin's hanging, like his potential hanging and senten- death sentencing, Levi gets a little bit more aggressive with him. Yeah, I noticed that too. He plays it coy saying there are people out there who are going to die among all of this, but right now we're focused on Aaron and Historia. But you're right. He does take a pause and think about Erwin. I think it, like, it gets to him. Because mm-hmm. he's an Ackerman who is likely tied to Erwin. Yeah. In episode 42, Aaron wakes up in the, I don't know what you call it, like the, the Titan room, the Titan cavern or the whatever. Cavern. 
Um, underground and, Chapel, I think they call it. Underground Chapel, thank you. Um, and after, when he wakes up, it's after a memory of Frida plays in his head because he's technically inherited her memories through his dad. So this actually was interesting to me because I, I don't think they show this much after this point. Like, they don't show it as clearly. Um, because one of the things I was wondering throughout watching the final season is like, how many people back can they inherit memories from? But here it confirms that like it can be multiple layers back, multiple generations back. So this would be like twice removed from Aaron. Yeah, because if it's Frida's memories, she got eaten by Grisha and then Aaron eats Grisha. That's two layers of memories. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you're literally inheriting like everyone's fucking memories. They probably have clarified this. It's probably just one of those details that went over my head but it was a nice reminder that you you do have multiple layers of memories in your brain quick thing i noticed in this episode is with erwin talking to uh, premier zachary or dallas zachary about what would have happened if the scouts had handed aaron over to the government in the first place um and this kind of leads into a conversation between the both of them about their dreams because zachary reveals that he would have wanted a coup d'etat um, just because he hated the people in the government. And I think Zachary notices that Erwin too is in a way prioritizing himself over the fate of humanity because of his dream to discover the truth. Uh, I think, again, this idea of dreams playing a role in whether or not characters are really thinking about the saving of humanity it's it's prevalent in season three but it i think it ties together with what aaron is trying to do in the final season episode 43 had a lot of pieces worth noting but again half of these are immediate foreshadowing for things that are going to happen in just a few episodes but some of it are hints at some things that'll happen much more long term so first off aaron asks haven't I been to this place before when he is in the underground chapel? Um, again, this is signaling that he's recalling inherited memories. And then Historia and Rod touch Aaron. He can see part of Grisha's memory. So it's like a partial unlock of Frida and Grisha's memories. Um, we all sort of, you know, immediately get some clarity around this as the episodes play out. Um, there's also the flashback of Historia reading that story about Emir, even though they they said it was like Krista or whatever. Um, but what the takeaway is here is that Frida forces Historia to forget about her after she has to leave because she, being Frida, held the founding titan powers and by um, touching her head, I guess, to Historia's head, she's able to like make all of those immediate memories disappear. I feel like this is one of the very few times or maybe the only time we see anybody use the memory manipulation. yeah. I mean, it is a founding titan power, so I don't think this was previously revealed. Um, but it also doesn't show up after this either because Aaron can't use it anyway. He's, he doesn't right. have royal blood. Yeah, that's true. The only thing he alters is Emir's, the real Emir's choice in paths, but that's not the same. But what's interesting, though, is that immediately after that, um, when Historia touches Aaron, she remembers all of those memories that Frida forced her f- to forget. So it's almost like a two-way street that, you know, uh, Aaron's powers are not activated without touching Historia or someone of royal blood, but 
his story is also able to unlock some things by touching the person who's holding the founding titan power it's like she touched aaron and was able to undo some of the memory manipulation but what i find weird though okay so this is yeah this is maybe a plot hole i don't know they say multiple times in this part of the season that there are a few bloodlines that are immune to memory manipulation, namely the race bloodline, the Ackerman bloodline, and the Oriental clan. But Frida altered Historia's memories in that moment. Doesn't that completely contradict what they were saying? Oh, uh, did they mention the race bloodline? Yeah. Oh, that's one of the... They're supposed to be immune. Yeah, because Pixies tells Erwin there are some bloodlines like the race bloodline that are immune to memory manipulation, if I re remember correctly. But then it's mm. not until like a little bit later when Kenny's talking to his grandfather that we also get confirmation about the Ackermans and the Oriental clan. Mm, okay. Unless I understood that incorrectly or I'm misremembering. I feel like that's a direct contradiction. <laughs> so I don't I don't know what's going on there. And at the end of the underground chapel part of this episode, Rod tells Historia that Grisha's goal was to steal the founding power. Um Aaron is even convinced, I think in a later episode, that like his father was the the cause of all this. He's the one to blame. But we later learn in the final season that it was actually Aaron who forced him to do all of that. Aaron's, mm -hmm. and again, it might not be this episode, it might be a later one, but Aaron's I think like- It's the next one. Yeah, he's like screaming and crying about like, I'm so sorry, I regret everything my father did. I can't believe this, just eat me. I don't deserve this power. It's not mine. It was stolen from you guys. I can't believe he did that. And I'm like, dude, you're the one who made him do it. He didn't want to do any of that. And you fucking forced him to. It's just so ironic how that all unfolded. Yeah, <laughs> it's, we again- this happens in the next episode, episode 44, Wish. Just rewatching Aaron being so full of remorse and knowing what we know now, it's like, well, <laughs> um, that's, that's what I wrote in my notes uh, when he was, again, apologizing for what his dad had wrought upon them all. Less important, but still worth noting, we get the poop chair. The poop chair is introduced, which I only remember in the final season when um, What's-His-Face gets killed, but they reference the poop chair again when he Zachary. gets killed. Yeah. <laughs> it's, this, I think, the same chair that gets armed with the bomb. That's right. Oh, yeah, the bomb is on the poop chair. Um, anyway, I just thought that was great. I love the poop chair. Uh, then we have Pixie. So this is more of, an, of a hint, I feel like. Pixie's tells Erwin he once heard a song about when humans will stop fighting, and he said he wonders when that day will be. And I'm kind of thinking like, well, I don't know, maybe after Aaron does whatever the fuck he's trying to do in the final season. What is it, like a song of ice and fire? Yeah, it like must be. Game of Thrones. <laughs> and then um, the one and only time that Levi and Mikasa talk about their Ackerman last name, we learn a lot of interesting information. She says that her dad was persecuted but never knew why. Um, and same with her mom, but likely because she was of a di different race. Kenny then learns later that the persecution was because the... Um, royal bloodlines that were immune to memory manipulation betrayed the royal family, including the Ackermans. So that's why they were persecuted. And then Levi asked Mikasa if there was ever a moment she felt like a power appeared inside her or was sort of activated. Um, and she said yes. And he confirms that both he and Kenny have had experiences like this and they suddenly knew what it was they had to do. So this is just so cool to know that there's that similarity. Like they have 
like a special bond almost something that is just in the Ackerman bloodline but then they never talk about it again I want them to talk I want them to, want them to sit down and have a conversation and like have those oh shit moments about oh my god this happened to you it happened to me too and just try to figure out what it means to be an Ackerman but it's also kind of like not in either of their natures to do that yeah they're too busy hacking and slashing through people to to have a sit-down conversation in episode 44 i didn't find any hints in particular um everything that came up was immediately any questions that came up were immediately answered um later in this part but there is one question that i was a bit confused by and that's when rod tells historia that he couldn't become a titan and take the power because i think it's when kenny's got him in a headlock and he says Rod, you, you made your brother do this. You made Frida do this. Now you're making Historia do this, but you never do it yourself. And Rod's like, no, Historia, don't listen to him. There's a reason that I couldn't become a Titan and take this power. And I'm kind of like, what? what is that reason? I don't think they ever clarified. And my only theory is that maybe he knew his Titan form would be too big to control. He couldn't even lift his head up to eat anything. So maybe is that why? <laughs> like, it's purely a shot in the dark. I, I have no clue. Um, but that's the only thing I can think of as to why he would say I couldn't do this. Um, I found a, an entry on the Attack on Titan wiki. I don't know if this is spoilers for the manga, but this is coming from Isayama himself. Rod Race thought of himself as just an observer, and in order to preserve the race bloodline, he may have thought that he needed to stay human to make more offspring <laughs> i could see that okay yeah that does make sense um because he had like five children probably to preserve the bloodline and i mean if you have children then like you could have them i guess take on the power because they wouldn't they technically have the 13 year contract then yeah so if, if rod is taking on more of the role as like the overseer to ensure that the race family continues its duties then yeah maybe that that's why it would have just been nice though if they explained that a little bit like give him like you know, a quick five second, five second explanation versus simply saying, I can't do that. I think another thing in this episode that it's almost like a throwaway line. I think Rod says this too, is that if Frida had used, if Frida had just used her power, we might have eliminated Titans from this world entirely. And that's where I'm thinking is, has Aaron latched onto that idea? And is that what he's carrying with him? as he's going through the rumbling. Um, another thing is what Historia says um, in agreeing with Rod in uh, inheriting the Founding Titan uh, is that she'll inherit the world's history and exterminate every last Titan, which I guess goes hand in hand with what Rod said earlier. Like, is this what Aaron is planning to do when he says he wants to wipe them out from this world. I still don't think, I don't know if he's still talking about everyone in humanity that's not Eldian, or if he's trying to get rid of the Titan threat itself, thereby making it a level playing field for both Marleans and Eldians and all other races in the world. In episode 45, Again, not a hint, but I did want to call out that Levi tells Aaron that he hates doing this to him every time, but that he has to, he being Aaron, has to make the choice. I, I find that to be a very soft moment for Levi when it comes to Aaron, because he's really tough on Aaron. As we see, 
Aaron is like the only one who's actually afraid of Levi of all of the scouts. But I think Levi knows that he's Aaron's mentor. And there's a lot of um, like the world is really resting on Aaron's shoulders. But then we see Aaron in the final season and he's going off and making decisions all on his own. And I almost wonder if Levi looks back on these things and regrets giving Aaron so much power, so many um, opportunities to make the choice. Like did that prompt Aaron to then just say, I just need to do this on my own. If the choice mm. is always going to fall on me, then maybe I can just move ahead um, and, and and take care of things on my own. Maybe that kind of goes hand in hand with another thing mentioned in this episode. I think it was Historia that had explained that she understood how Grisha wanted to break the cycle that was being used with the founding Titan power. Although again, knowing what we know now, it's Aaron who wanted to break this cycle because I think he also realizes that he himself is the loophole in how to use the founding Titans power to circumvent the King's vow renouncing war and to actually use it to quote unquote eliminate the Titans from the world. In episode 46, Aaron has his self-doubting protagonist moment when he questions himself if plugging up Wall Maria is really enough to save humanity. He doubts himself, saying that he's the trump card that humanity got stuck with. But then he looks at Armin and Mikasa and remembers what it is he wants to do, which is probably to save the people he cares about, like them and the scouts. Um, I think there, earlier there was also that that memory of Grisha telling him, like, if you want to save Armin and Mikasa, you have to do these things. And then he kind of like punches himself in the face to snap himself out of it. This is important to me, at least, because in the final season, we're constantly questioning what Aaron's motivation is, what his end goal is, because he's been so distant from everybody. But I still firmly believe, as I think you might as well, um, uh, that he is doing these things to save, again, the people he cares about, to save the last of his family and friends. Um, while, yes, also saving humanity, I think that the, um, the immediate gratification of, of protecting the people that have been closest to him is what is driving him every single day. I think there's also a scene where Aaron looks at three kids in, I think it's the Orwood district that they're in, because that's the one that Rod's um, worm titan, as you called it, is about to attack. And obviously that reminds him of the main trio when they were younger. And so I think what he sees there is like, he has this duty to prevent a similar disaster in parodies from occurring um, or I guess for other children to not have to go through the same trauma that he did. Although I think the juxtaposition is that he's probably causing the same torment on kids who are living <laughs> in Marley. Oh, 100%. I think we get those parallel views of Marley and um, parodies a lot in at least part one of the final season um and then the rumbling with yeah the founding titan so they're 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 definitely parallels because that question comes up i think throughout the aot community is like is what aaron's doing righteous to save all of humanity or just to save eldians or like just mm -hmm. people of parodies because he's putting other people through exactly what he went through like there that that whole idea of a cycle repeating itself while it might not be the same cycle that they're going through here in Paradise with um, 
with the, like the race family and and all of that it's a different cycle that's continuing which is the cycle of like one side versus the other who's right and who's wrong um all of that i think an- another thing to look at is do the ends justify the means and that goes back to a quote that armin says i think we brought i brought it up in our season two discussion and in season one bring it up again here in season three part one is that if there's anyone who can bring change, it will be someone willing to sacrifice what they care for, someone who can throw away their humanity in order to defeat monsters. Um, and so that's the thing that I guess we have to wrestle with with thinking about Aaron is at what expense does he need to save humanity? And is there a point where this just becomes too much? Or does Aaron have to embrace being the scapegoat or the monster to truly bring about change in this world. There's a quick flashback that also happens in this episode where Levi is reviewing the attack plan with Erwin and the group or the scouts. And I noticed that standing next to Erwin on one side, uh, it's like a totally separate side from the rest of the scouts. It's Erwin and next to him is Armin and then John. And this stuck out to me because it's probably signaling that Armin will become Erwin's successor and that's why he has him so close to him as the plan is being reviewed there's even a shot I think of like from let's say like the the table upward of Erwin Armin and John in particular and then also like John is almost like a secondary leader for the scouts because we really see him blossom as somebody who can lead especially with some of these very last minute plans so i found that interesting that the three of them were a primary focus or kind of huddled together when talking about this grand scheme that they were going to to move forward with i think the most outlandish thing with this episode is how historia i know this isn't really any hinting towards anything but just a comment i wanted to make is how historia just happens to know which shrapnel of meat from rod's titan was the one that was the killing blow yeah that was very um coincidental very like poetic i guess because she needed to be the one to defeat the titan and let everyone see her so they would accept her as the new successor blah 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 (laughs) i don't know it was you're right it was a little bit of a stretch but it played out poetically yeah but again there were like thousands of pieces of meat flying through the air so i don't know in episode 47 all i noticed in this episode was that aaron freaks out over the idea of historia punching levi and this also makes me remember in episode one when levi um was mad about the scouts not cleaning the room or not not having it be clean enough when he arrives the only person freaking out in both of these moments is Aaron. Everyone else is like, it's fine. But he's like, no, we can't do this. Like, Hacho's going to be mad. And this stuck out to me because I think the fear that he has of Levi is like kind of like a fear respect type of thing. And that's why even in season four, he still calls him Hacho. <laughs> like he just, I don't know, I think he can never defy Levi. Levi is like this unspoken mentor for Aaron, um, like a guiding voice for him whether or not he likes to admit it. So I just found it funny that he was panicking about Historia punching him. I think it's also a reminder of season one where Levi said he would take full responsibility for Aaron's actions and that he would keep him in check. And so that's probably been haunting Aaron since that trial. 
In episode 48, we get Shadis's backstory, um, and it confirms that he was once commander of the scouts, but resigned because he felt he wasn't special enough and couldn't do anything. But this comes, I think, full circle for him, um, and he sort of gets his redemption moment in season four, the final season, particularly in part two, because he sort of does become someone special who changes the course of humanity. He plays a crucial role in the scouts being able to overcome the Jaegerists, uh, especially when he does the self-sacrifice play with the train, blowing up the train or some shit, and then blowing up the boat. Mm-hmm. Like he just he does all this stuff, and he goes out in a blaze of glory and ends up being a character we all really love and respect. But it's just interesting to hear that at one point he resigned because he was sad he didn't get the girl and sad he wasn't special enough so i guess good for him for having a ton of character development he was special because he was born into this world yeah which is exactly (laughs) what carla says about aaron he's already special because he was born into this world Mm -hmm. and that definitely comes into play in the final season yeah everyone is special although i I feel like it's what did did keith lose all his hair or keith shaddis lose all his hair because of the stress of him not or him realizing he wasn't special? Probably. <laughs> Sorry, there was one thing that I wanted to bring up back in episode, or the previous episode, episode 47. It's something that Kenny says to Levi before he succumbs to his wound. And I think it's a, it appears as a flashback again in season three, part two, where he says everyone had to be drunk on something to keep pushing on, or everyone was a slave to something. I think he's talking specifically about his own dream to have the founding titans powers and to wield i guess the titan power um again talking about dreams we've seen like with erwin his dream of understanding or seeking the truth of the world or like even something as stupid as zachary's dream to overthrow the government because he hates the people in power um i think you can apply this overall with aaron's motive seeing it as sort of like how his dream is the one that trumps everyone else's in truly saving humanity, whatever that dream may be. That's what I kind of tied what Kenny says in this episode, not just to what happens in season three, part two, but what happens beyond that in the final season. And finally, in episode 49, Erwin tells Levi uh, when he gives him the Titan serum that he may have to choose how and when to use that serum. And the whole time I was thinking, oh, no, he has no idea. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then this is the callback I wanted to, not callback, but like the moment I wanted to talk about where Levi acts similar to the way Mikasa acts about Aaron, um, but when Levi is interacting with Erwin. That's going to get confusing, Aaron and Erwin. So in the scene um, when just the two of them are in the meeting room or boardroom or whatever, um, you have Levi telling Erwin basically what to do, that he can't move the same without an arm while while, while missing an arm, um, that he may not make it out, out alive, that he needs to come up with some sort of contingency plan. Levi even insists that Erwin stay behind for his protection. Otherwise, the scouts won't know how to go on if something happens to him. Uh, Levi even threatens to break both of Erwin's legs if he goes. And it just reminds me because you have Levi constantly noticing how Mikasa is so tied to Aaron. But yet Levi, I think, doesn't realize he behaves in a similar way with Erwin because nobody else could talk like that to Erwin. Absolutely nobody else. And I think part of it is like, Erwin understands who Levi is, but the other part of it is Levi 
not realizing that he as an Ackerman is possibly tied to Erwin and that's why he feels so strongly about preventing him from going into a situation where he's likely to come out alive. Yeah. And I think it's it's twofold going back to the discussion about dreams. I think one of the things Levi asks Erwin in their conversation is if this dream of yours comes true, what will you do then? And I don't think, like I said, I don't think Aaron provides him with a straightforward answer, just saying, oh, we'll tighten up our defenses or whatever. I think Levi's just realizing in the context of what Kenny says is that Erwin is too driven by his own dream to discover the truth that that's his final, like, that's his final destination, basically. And Levi has to kind of think of that in his decision in season three, part two, on whether or not he needs to save Air. Erwin or Armin, as in which which of these two individuals will rightfully lead humanity to a brighter future. So I think it's both his Ackerman bloodline that's coming into play, but also taking what Kenny had said to him in his final words to account. Towards the end of the episode, you have a really nice moment between Aaron, Mikasa, and Armin, where, I don't know, like they're having like their their nostalgic moment mikasa and armin and even aaron actually they're all wearing similar outfits to what they wore when they were kids in season one um and aaron says some really nice things to armin he says some nice things to mikasa even says or admits to her that he's always been jealous of her strength and these things just i think echo when you're re-watching it because of the conversation that aaron will later have in the final season where he basically shits all over Armin and Mikasa. We we have that ongoing theory that he doesn't actually hate Mikasa. He doesn't actually find Armin to be annoying. He's just trying to distance himself to protect them because you can't have this type of moment and so many moments like this where Aaron like like a flips a switch flips for him anytime he thinks about protecting Armin and Mikasa. You can't have these moments, um, but then go and say, I've always hated you or, you know, you're not worthy or whatever. So I, I think these um, rewatching these moments help to reinforce that there's something else driving Aaron to behave that way in the final season. And then the episode ends with a very creepy rendition of the ED that I hate every time it comes on. But it basically previews what happens in season three, part two. Did you catch anything else besides that preview? Like, was there anything else that was maybe like a larger hint that popped up? Yeah. Um, for those of you who skip EDs, you probably didn't know that there was this moment. It was basically, again, a preview of what's to come in season three, part two, which is interesting because this episode, it ends on such a high note, a high triumphant note, as the scouts go out to retake uh, Wall Maria. And then you have this moment where you see it's not going to end up the way that everyone had hoped especially because you see two burning corpses and then Mikasa turning on Levi for, for what was it, like punching Aaron or whatever. Um, but yeah, in the ED leading up to this moment, there are like sporadic images that pop up. And I found a YouTube video that slows down this portion, so we can share this in the Discord for anyone who wants to see it. But it's actually similar to, I think there's similar imagery to what we saw with Aaron in the first episode of Attack on Titan, where he has a dream with a lot of flashing images as well. 
you see Diana Fritz in her attack, or not her attack titan, but her titan form. I think images of the battle to retake Wall Maria, like images of like a of a bee attacking some other insect. Nothing of note, I would say. But for those of you who watched that slow down video, and if you happen to catch anything that's anime spoilers only, not manga spoilers, please let us know. And that brings us to our final thoughts for Attack on Titan Season 3 Part 1. So I know normally wouldn't we wouldn't rate separate cores of a season, but I think this is a special case, especially because both parts are so distinct from each other. Um, so I guess how many Kenny the Let It Rippers out of 10 would you give Season 3 Part 1? And that's my Beyblade reference to oh. <laughs> bring it full circle earlier. Well, hang on. Let's talk about what we gave it the first time. And then we'll talk about if our rating has changed. Because I feel like, again, when you're rewatching something like this with all the context that we have now, there is the chance that uh, our rating could come out a bit different, drastically different. I don't know. So, yeah, I I would say if I'm thinking about season three, part one, and if it holds up after all these years, absolutely. It's still amazing. It just feels very different than the rest of Attack on Titan that we have gotten and will get. But with that said, I, I think if, if I remember correctly, I believe the, the rating I gave it when I first watched it was an 8 out of 10. Um, having watched it again with more context, I won't say full context as AOT hasn't finished, but with much more context, I'd bump that up to an 8.5 out of 10. I, I know we talked a lot about it. Rewatching this with a better understanding of what the overall story is for Attack on Titan I think gave me a much greater appreciation for season three, part one. Um, As much as I keep saying that it's my least favorite, I fully acknowledge and recognize that this part of the season just straight up tells us so much important, beefy information that we need to understand what the fuck is going on in this world. And um, I think it just was not, it was delivered in a way that for first time viewers is just hard to absorb. But I think it's it amplifies the rewatch value of Attack on Titan, especially this part in particular, because it clarified a lot for me. Like there were so many qu- like, lingering questions that I had or just um, bits of information that weren't super clear to me that rewatching season three, part one, just totally answered any questions that I had and totally clarified anything that I was a bit fuzzy about. So I really do appreciate that about season three, part one. And I think because of all those pieces, that's why I'm bumping it up half a point. But what about you? I think I'm in the same boat. I didn't rate this back when we first watched season three, part one, but I'm sure I would have given this an eight out of 10. My score would slightly change this time around. I would also give it an eight and a half out of 10 or maybe like 8.75. And like you and many others, I, I chided at this core because of its shift in focus from attacking on Titans to warring with words as the scouts take on the establishment. And in the bigger scheme of things, I would still rate this as the least engaging of all the AOT cores that we've seen in the anime thus far. However, I don't think that discounts the importance of what is introduced in season three part one as it lays the groundwork of understanding the founding titan's powers and in a way i would say this core also serves 
as a sort of appetizer to the hybrid of action and political intrigue that permeates the two cores of the final season thus far, as it becomes clearer and clearer that the conflict against the Titans is far more complex than what the powers that be of Paradis are claiming it to be. And I think this is kind of well interwoven into the side plot of the conflict between Levi and Kenny, a relationship that I understand more now, having watched the series up until the final season. In contrast, though, I think Aaron is, takes more of a back seat in this arc to give rise to Historia, which comes with its share of faults as much as its benefits, most especially, as Courtney has alluded to, Aaron's shonen prototypical uselessness and Historia still feeling more like a plot device than a major player in this story. But nonetheless, looking back at Season 3 Part 1, I feel like we are still getting quality pieces of information in this arc, despite it feeling less like Attack on Titan and more like a talk on Titan. But now my body is ready to bust this basement open and flip the world of AOT as we know it upside down with Season 3 Part 2. Yeah, I can't wait to talk about the next part of season three because, again, it's my favorite and there's a reason for that. And I'm going to gush all about that because I think it is the best of all the wild rides in Attack on Titan. It's the best one that we've had so far. So look forward to our next and final review or look back of Attack on Titan with season three, part two, coming in the next several weeks. And then I guess from there, we'll just wait and see when they finally release the final season the final part final part of the final season is that what it's called the official name the final season part three let's just <laughs> call it that it's gonna be crazy and of course when the final part of the final season is back we will be sure to return with our aot special event where every single week in addition to our regular schedule we will review every episode of that part of the final season it is really difficult to keep all these part ones and part twos and final parts and seasons all straight yeah but you guys get what we're saying <laughs> they should have just never called it the final season just call it season four five six there it you go been much easier <laughs> but thank you guys as always for tuning in we appreciate you joining us each and every week and as always subscribe to strictly anime on your favorite podcast service join our discord to chat with us follow us on instagram at the strictly series on twitter at strictly series and check out our website, thestrictlyseries.com. If you'd like to support the show and get access to things like our bonus episodes, then head over to patreon.com slash thestrictlyseries. And tune into Strictly JoJo, our other podcast dedicated to JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. All links are in the description. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb. Sasageo. Shinzo wo sasageo.